0: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for worship. We thank you for this text that we're about to dive into, God, Uh, this story in Genesis. I pray that you would speak to each of us personally. Lord, convict us, encourage us, but most importantly, make us more like you. We love you in your name. Amen. So, um, before, actually, right after I got saved, where I got saved was this place called Calvary House. it's a men's ministry and the year that i was there basically i woke up every day um monday through friday at 4:30 at in the morning uh devotions at 5 went to work at 6 got done with work at 5 and then most nights we had something to do so it was pretty um pretty structured pretty intense right and, and i did that every day uh or every week for a year so on Friday nights is when we all went grocery shopping. And for our long weeks of work, we had the privilege of receiving a $50 Walmart card. Okay, and that's what we used to spend for food for the week. So on Fridays, it was a great day because, like I said, we'd go grocery shopping. Uh, uh, on Fridays, we would refer to Fridays as flesh out Fridays. Okay, and this is why. Now, what we mean by flesh out Fridays is that we've been working all week long being spiritual and doing all these things and serving at the church, we deserve to feed our flesh a little bit. So on Fridays, we'd buy like some pizza and some ice cream. Friday night, we were able to watch a movie. And Friday nights, we'd always kind of give into our flesh. We called it flesh out Fridays, literally. And it was kind of this uh, culture that we developed in our Calvary house family. There's about 40 to 50 guys. That's what we developed in our Calvary house family. This flesh out Friday culture. We work hard all week and then on Friday nights we just give in. But what would happen is oftentimes at the end of the night on Friday I'm like man I just wasted that whole night. It's like we could have been doing something more spiritual like a Bible study or something. I feel like garbage because I ate ice cream and pizza and all this stuff. And I'd have like regret it, but next week, Friday would come along and I would do the same thing again. It was just the environment that we created. That's what everybody did. See, in this story, we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 27, and we're going to talk about this fleshly family, which brings me to the title of this teaching, a fleshly family. A fleshly family. You'll understand as we dive in, each and every family member here acts out in their flesh one way or another. And I believe that it's because that's the environment that was cultivated in this family dynamic. Okay. If we look at Genesis chapter 27 verse 1, it says here, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. Okay, look here, it says that Isaac was very old. Martin Luther apparently did the math here, and Isaac's about 137 years old at this point, which is key and important to note because if you remember, Ishmael died at 137. So death is obviously on Isaac's mind because his brother died at the same age. We'll find out later in Genesis that Isaac doesn't die till he's 180. So he still has 43 years left to live, but he's thinking about the future and he doesn't think that his time here on earth is going to be much longer. And physically, we see he's affected by his old age. It says his eyes were so dim that he could not see. That's really important to know um, for later in the story. So it says that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. Now Esau, as previously mentioned, was Isaac's favorite son. Remember, Rebekah loved Jacob, but Isaac he loved Esau. Why? Because he was a hunter, he's a manly man, real hairy and I don't know if you like the hair, but he liked the manliness and the food that he brought to him and he just loved Esau. He was a real man's man. And so he's going to call Esau to come to him because he wants to bless him. He wants to really, he's trying to set his affairs in order and he wants to make sure that his will and testament goes to the son that he loves the most. Important to note: look at verse, verse 2. It says, Then he said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me a savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. So, like I said, he brings Esau to himself and he's saying, hey, I want to bless you. And the blessing that he's talking about is the birthright. I want to bless you with the birthright. I want to give you your inheritance because I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. So go get me some food, go hunt some game, bring me back this savory food, and I'm going to bless you. Now, there's a problem here. God previously prophesied and said, the younger shall serve the older. Meaning that Jacob Declared by God would receive the birthright. Isaac knows this, but he's still going out of his way to bless Esau. We just read in the previous chapter that Esau married pagan women and this grieved his parents. So Esau's already making very fleshly decisions. On top of that, Esau already technically sold his birthright to Jacob at the end of Genesis chapter 26. So everything's pointing in the direction that Isaac should be blessing Jacob except one thing, Isaac's flesh, Isaac's flesh in his flesh. He wants to bless the son of flesh. Remember, we talked about this. Esau is a picture of the flesh where Jacob is a picture of the spirit and Isaac, he wants to bless the son of flesh. He wants to bless the flesh. You ever bless your flesh? Come on. You bless your flesh all the time. The very thing that you're called to kill, you bless it. How do you bless it? Some of us, we work out. We lift weights. We try to make our flesh look a little more appealing. Others, we put on makeup. We get pedicures and manicures. We pamper our flesh. We're literally blessing our flesh. We're literally blessing the very thing that God has called us to kill. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to take care of ourselves. I absolutely believe we are supposed to take care of ourselves. But so often we get so focused on blessing the flesh because why? It feels good. Because it feels good to bless the flesh. But what does Paul say? In Romans chapter 13, he says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The more you feed it, the more it's going to grow. We discussed this last week. So Isaac, he wants to bless the son of flesh. He's blessing the flesh, essentially. We'll get more into that later because it actually happens later in the story. But follow along with me, picking it up in verse 5. It says, now, Rebe- Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring it. So Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock, bring me from their two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. Now, what did God say before Jacob and Esau were born? That the younger shall serve the older. This was a promise from God that Jacob would receive the birthright. But what's Rebecca doing here? She's trying to take matters into her own hands and deceive her husband so that God's will will be fulfilled. Because she loves Jacob, she desires Jacob to receive the birthright. But her desire is getting in the way of God fulfilling his will his way. She's trying to take matters into her own hands and she's leading Isaac in or sorry, she's leading Jacob in deceit. Which brings me to the first of four points. Choose God's will, God's way. Choose God's will, God's way. See, God, like I said, told her in the womb that Jacob would be blessed over Esau, but Rebekah wants to fulfill God's promise in her flesh. This seems to be a theme in this family, right? God tells Abraham, you're gonna have a son. And what does Abraham do? He mingles with Hagar and now we got Ishmael. Right, It happens time and time again in this family. God gives them a promise. Instead of trusting God to fulfill the promise, to fulfill His will His way, they take matters into their own hands and they mess everything up. It's a theme in their family, but it's also a theme in our family. See, we do this too. God tells us something. We know His will generally or sometimes even specifically, but then we take matters into our hands. We try to fulfill God's will our way. We hear a great story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you flip with me there. See, God's way is greater than our way. We need to trust God's way over our way, when we try to fulfill God's will our way, bad thing ha- bad things happen. Look at this story. So David, he's trying to bring the ark back. And you look at verse one, it says, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and with all the people who were with him from Beile, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill in Uzzah and Ohio. The sons of Abinadab drove the new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab. I think that time I kind of said it right, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood on harps or stringed instruments on tambourines or sistrums and on cymbals. They're stoked they got the ark back from the Philistines. They're going to bring it back to Jerusalem where it belongs. And look what happens in verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. What? Wait a minute. God struck this man down. Why? Doesn't God want the ark to come back to Jerusalem? Yes. That's God's will. That the ark comes back to Jerusalem but they're trying to fulfill God's will their way. See, the ark wasn't to be uh drug on a cart, it was supposed to be carried by the priests, okay? And there was a certain strategy for them to move the ark around. They weren't going about it the way that God had instructed in his word, and because they tried to fulfill God's will their way, Uzzah dies. See, there's serious repercussions and consequences when we try to fulfill God's will in our flesh. You know, this can be a hard thing sometimes because God might speak to us in the word. He might give us a promise in the word. He might say, hey, this is what I want for you or for me. Maybe this is what I want for the church. But I have to ask myself if I'm if, if if I'm truly seeking the Lord, am I going to try to take these things that God's communicating to me and fulfill them in my own strength and fulfill them in my own flesh? Or am I going to wait on the, the Lord and try to allow Him to fulfill these things and do these things the way that He's instructed? I'll give you an example. So, about a month and a half ago, maybe almost two months ago, I was praying about vision, I was praying about all these different things and the Lord was stirring up, hey... The church, you need to provide opportunities for discipleship for this church. Things need to th- things need to start happening. We need to give people chances to come and be discipled more because when you look at Jesus and the disciples, they didn't just hang out with Jesus on Sunday and Wednesdays. That's not what I see in the scriptures. They were with them daily. They had an opportunity to be invested into with the word of God daily. So I start praying about this. God, how do I do this? What do we do? I think this is what you want. How's it gonna happen? And he's like, hey, We need to provide opportunity. There needs to be some other things that happen in the church. We need to start some small groups. We need a more intimate setting. So I'm praying about this. And literally the week that I'm praying about it, that Sunday, Dave comes up to me and he's like, hey man, it's really been on my heart to start my home group again. I'm like, hmm, really interesting. What were you thinking? He starts describing it to me and I'm like, dude, this is exactly what I've been praying about. And this thing happened and now we got a home group on Mondays. Tom comes up to me, he's like, hey, couples ministry, something that I've been thinking about starting again. Stoked, yes, let's do it, another opportunity for discipleship. Now what I could have done was taken that direction from the Lord and said, hey, the church needs the disciple, needs discipleship. And I could have said, alright, I'm gonna do this on Monday and I'm doing this on Tuesday and I'm doing this on Wednesday and Thursday and all these things. And I could have just loaded myself up and tried to fulfill God's will in my flesh and you know what would have happened? I would have got burnt out and most of those ministries, they would have stopped existing because I would have been like by January, I can't do it anymore. But no, I knew God wanted something to happen and he fulfilled it his way. He brought the people to me literally because he had already ordained that. Yes, I'm going to take care of this. I'm just telling you what I'm going to do already. And that's what it means to wait on the Lord and choose God's will, God's way. It's not saying, oh, we're going to keep, back, relax, and God's going to do all the work. It's saying, hey God, when you tell me to move, I'll move. When you tell me to stay, I'll stay. If you want me to wait, I'll wait, but I'm not going to take these matters into my own hands and try to fulfill them. That's what Rebecca's doing. She's trying to fulfill God's will in her flesh and she's using deception. She's actually sinning by trying to make this thing happen. And I want to note on something else here. It says when in verse 5, um, that Esau, after he was directed by his father, uh, Isaac, that he went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Esau went along with his father's direction, even though he knew that he promised the birthright to Jacob. He already gave up his birthright, but he knows if he brings his dad this food, then he's going to receive the birthright. Esau is in his flesh too. He's going back on his word. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I don't care if you were in your flesh in that moment, Esau. You said you made a deal. You got to live up to the deal you made. You can't undo the promise that you made to Isaac. And that's what he's trying to do. So he's in his flesh as well. He's trying to undo God's will for this family. Pick it up in Genesis chapter 27. Verse 11 says, And Jacob said to Rebe- Rebecca, his mother, Look, he saw my, mo- my brother, I almost said my mother, that would have been bad, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself, and not a blessing. Listen to what Jacob's saying. Perhaps if I deceive my dad, he'll think I'm a deceiver. Well, Jacob, if you deceive your dad, you are a deceiver. That's who you are. But Jacob is so caught up with what his dad thinks instead of being caught up with who he actually is. See, it's it doesn't matter who people think we are, it matters who we actually are. Now this becomes a serious problem, and I won't go too deep into this, because so many sons, they're so concerned about what their fathers think. I'll tell you, I've had the privilege to invest in a lot of young men, and 90% of the time, the issues that they have are rooted in their relationship with their father. Because they're so concerned about what their father thinks. And they'll have bitterness or resentment or whatever. I was never good enough. Whatever it is. Because sons, for some reason, we, we're so concerned about what our dad thinks about us. That's Jacob's problem here. But he's more concerned about what his dad thinks about him than he is about who he actually is. Jacob, if you deceive your father, that means that you are a deceiver. Who you are is more important than who people think you are. Don't worry about who people think you are. Worry about who you actually are. Paul says it like this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. What is he saying? I'm not worried about what people think about me. I'm not trying to please men. That doesn't mean that I don't love men and I don't love on men. It means... I'm focused on pleasing God. I'm focused on pleasing my heavenly father. Because regardless of what people think about me, if I'm not doing this right, I'm never going to do this right. And you know what pleases our heavenly father? Having a good testimony. There's a lot of things. Faith pleases him, but follow me. Specifically in context of this, Jacob thinking, oh, if I deceive, then he'll think I'm a deceiver. A good testimony is what pleases God. Paul writes to Timothy and says this in First Timothy chapter four, verse twelve. 1 Timothy chapter four, verse twelve. He says this, Timothy, a young pastor in a church. He says. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. What's he saying? Your testimony is what's going to win them over. Be an example to the believer. Focus on what God thinks about you. Don't worry about what the people think about you. As we earn favor with God, as we please God, the right people are going to be pleased with us. The people that aren't pleased with us, who cares if we're purposed to please God, then it doesn't really matter what they think. See, If Isaac was purposed to please his heavenly father, then he wouldn't need to worry about what his earthly father thought in this situation. It doesn't matter what your dad thinks. If he's purposed to please his heavenly father, he's not gonna fall into deceit in this situation. He doesn't have to worry about his dad thinking he's a deceiver because if he's purposed to please his heavenly father, he's not going to deceive his earthly father. Genesis chapter 27, verse 13 says, but his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. It doesn't work like that, Rebecca. She says, okay, like like any good mother would all face the consequences if you get caught. But when you're talking about sin, it doesn't work like that. You can't bear the weight of your child's sin. Every person's sin is his own and it's only the blood of the lamb. It's only Jesus Christ that can cover our sins personally. So if we lead our children in sin, they still need to be forgiven by Jesus. The sin is still indebted to them. Rebecca saying, I'll take the curse on me. But Rebecca, it doesn't actually work like that in the spiritual realm. Look at verse 14. And he went... "...and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared into the, into the hand of her son Jacob." So he went to his father and said, "My father!" And he said, "Where am I? Here, sorry, here, here I am. Who are you, my son?" Jacob said to his father, "I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me." See. Isaac asks him, he says, who are you, my son? Jacob, he has the opportunity to be honest right there, right off the bat. Okay, yeah, I wore these dumb clothes and I'm wearing goat skin. Come on, I look ridiculous right now. Okay, he asked me, I'm just going to tell him. Okay, that's what he should have done, right? But no, he lies. And why did he lie? Well, because he wants the benefit that the lie will bring. If he lies and deceives his father, he's going to get the benefit of the birthright. See, so often we lie to get better things, to put ourselves in a better situation. And other times we lie to get out of worse situations. Look what happens. Verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord, your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Look at what happens here. Verse 20, he says, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He's giving him another opportunity. And look what he says because the Lord your God brought it to me the second time he lies. See, that is the tendency, or it seems to be the tendency. We say one little lie and it turns into two lies. We constantly dig ourselves a deeper and deeper grave. And this time he brings God into the situation. He says, God brought it to me. So not only is he lying, he's bringing God into it. This is the work of God. It's like, oh my gosh, we see here that Jacob, he doesn't have any respect for the Lord yet. Why? Well, he doesn't know him yet. He hasn't encountered him yet. He'll encounter him the next chapter. And after he encounters him, we'll see there's a little more respect that's gained for the Lord. But nevertheless, he lies a second time. He brings the Lord into it. And then he lies a third time. Look at this, verse 24. Are you really my son, Esau? He said, I am. Another lie. It's a vicious cycle. Such is the nature of our sin. It starts as like a little thing. We do one little thing. And that little thing turns into two or three. And eventually that sin becomes a lifestyle. And that lifestyle eventually defines who we are. Jacob, the deceiver. And it starts just with that one thing. You had the opportunity in the beginning and you kept digging yourself this deeper and deeper grave that eventually um, defined who you are. Now, Jacob could be justifying this whole thing. He could be saying, yeah, I'm sinning to fulfill God's will but that can never be justified. We can never justify, okay, I'm going to sin to fulfill God's will in my life. That can never be an excuse. Sin is sin. And Jacob here, he's operating in his flesh. He's using deception and lying to try to make God's will happen his way. Look at verse 22. Um, I want to read this because it's a second point and it's important. I want you to key on this. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. Okay, he felt him and said, look what he says. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. See, when we trust our feelings over our hearing, we get ourselves in trouble. What am I talking about? When we trust our feelings over hearing God's word, then we're bound to get in trouble. Now this is Jacob's voice, but follow me in the spiritual principle. This is the second point. Trust the word, not your feelings. Trust the word, not your feelings. He felt him and the feeling was right. He felt like Esau, but what he heard was Jacob's voice. He knew what he heard and he knew something was off and he didn't um, he wasn't in tune to what he was hearing to the point that it changed his behavior because he went with his feelings. See, when we go with our feelings and not God's word, we're going down a dangerous path. I feel like this, verse, God said this. In Proverbs 14, if you turn with me there, <clears throat> he puts it like this. He says, verse 12, he says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right. There's a way that feels right, but that way, it ends. It certainly will end in death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It doesn't matter if it seems right or it feels right, if it doesn't line up with God's word, then it's not right. Often, we don't feel like doing what God says. So does that mean we shouldn't do it? I'm not feeling it, God. I don't like what you told me this morning. Does that mean I shouldn't do it? No, we can't be led by our feelings. Our feelings will always lead us astray. You know what? Today, I woke up and I wasn't feeling it. Literally, I wasn't feeling so hot. I was like, all right, sometimes if I get a sweat in, it'll help me feel better. So I took the dogs for a run. I got back and I felt worse. I'm like, man, it usually makes me feel better. But I didn't. I felt worse. I felt a little sick. I felt a little achy. I felt like a little fever was going on. I know I got to teach tonight. That's what God's called me to do. He's called me to teach. I love teaching, but I wasn't feeling like it this morning. I didn't feel like coming and teaching tonight. And what do I do? Nah, I'm not going to teach because I don't feel like it. No, I'm going to teach whether I feel like it or not because it's what God's called me to do. It's what He's told me to do. And I'm going to choose to obey God's Word and be led by His Word over my feelings because my feelings deceive me. As I'm up here right now, I feel way better than I did. Maybe God was just testing me on this very Scripture probably likely that usually is the case he's like all right i'm gonna make you feel bad so you live up to this thing that you're saying here but it's the truth we need to be led by god's word and not how we feel he felt his hands they felt right but what he heard wasn't right if what we're feeling isn't lining up with god's word then something's wrong the word is right see It's the difference between doing what you know you're supposed to do and doing what you feel like doing. There's a saying, boys do what they want to do and men do what they have to do. And that's the reality of our Christian walk. That goes for the ladies as well. We can be a little child baby in the faith and say, I don't feel like going to church or I don't feel like doing this or I don't feel like doing that. And I know there's certain circumstances that we just can't do those things. But in all reality, if we're going based on our feelings and not what God has told us to do, then we're getting ourselves in trouble. Genesis chapter 27 says, and he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son, is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be a master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Not only does Jacob, we talked about birthright um, last week or the week before, I don't exactly remember but not only uh as the firstborn son would typically receive the birthright but that doesn't always have to happen that way we talked about how the son who does receive the birthright gets what a double portion of the inheritance and they also become the spiritual leader of the household once the father dies we used an example of joseph previously but look at this in Jacob's case, not only does he get a double portion of the inheritance and become the spiritual leader, he also gets to carry out the promise that was made to Abraham. The things that, I, uh, that Isaac blesses Jacob with, this blessing is very similar to the blessing that God gave to Abraham. <clears throat> so this is like a super blessed birthright. Verse 30, It says, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed. Isaac finds out that he actually blessed Jacob and not Esau and he's trembling. Why is he trembling? He's trembling because he was deeply troubled. He's troubled because despite the fact... That he tried to redirect God's will, it didn't succeed. He knew the promise that was made when Rebecca had the children in her womb. He knew the promise was for Jacob, but he tried to use deception. He didn't bring Rebecca into this situation. It was just between him and Esau. Remember? Rebecca just overheard this thing. So he's doing this thing secretly. He's trying to get one over on God. But it doesn't work that way. He's trying to resist God's will instead of embracing it. Why? Because he loved Esau more. That was his favorite child. Brings me to the third point. Don't resist God's will. Embrace God's will. Don't resist God's will, embrace God's will. He's trying to redirect God's will. He's trying to resist God's will. I know God said this, but this is what I want, and this is what I want to happen. I want Esau to be the one that receives the blessing, not just from me, but from the Lord. There's no sense in resisting God's will. That's a fight we're never going to win, okay? We're going to get beat up pretty badly when we choose that route with the Lord. Okay, it might be humiliating, like it was in Isaac Isaac's case, or it might uh, it might be even worse. It's best just to submit and surrender to the will of God. We're fighting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when we're resisting His will. We won't we won't win that. But it's interesting. Ultimately. Isaac does submit to God's will regarding this blessing. If you flip with me real quick to Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, known as the Hall of Faith, we see this story brought up again in one verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And he goes into their whole story and what's going to happen later. But it says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. And notice, Jacob is mentioned first. Well, we look at the story and it's like, what do you mean? By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob before Esau or over Esau. That's why he's mentioned first. Though Isaac originally attempted to redirect God's will and bless Esau, his faith was displayed by his willingness to follow through with his original blessing look what it says there at the end of verse 33 it says i ate all of it before you came and i blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed what's isaac saying here he's like dude god got me he's like however this thing worked yes jacob got him yes rebecca got him but he's saying no i blessed him and he receives the blessing I get it, God's will was fulfilled even though I tried to get around it. So by faith, he stuck to it. He could have said, oh no, I'm gonna cancel out that blessing and get you a new blessing. And he does give him a blessing, it's different. But by faith, he sticks to his guns in the blessing that he gave to Jacob. Genesis chapter 27, verse 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, "'Bless me, me also, oh my father.'" This is how I feel like he sounds. But he said, "'Your brother came with...' <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's Isaac now. "'Your brother came with deceit "'and has taken away your blessing.'" And Esau says, "'Is he not rightly named Jacob? "'For he has supplanted me these two times. "'He took away my birthright, "'and now look, he has taken away my blessing.'" And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Look at what he's saying here. Esau, he's so distraught that Jacob is now receiving the birthright. And he says, he took my birthright. But no, he didn't. Esau gave him the birthright. So now that Esau's facing up to the consequences of his sin, now he's embittered. Remember, he despised his birthright. And now he's crying about it. And he's turning around and he's blaming it on Jacob. See, Esau, as we've discussed several times, is a picture of the flesh. The flesh is literally crying out. The flesh cries out when it doesn't get its way. Brings me to the fourth and final point. Expect the flesh to cry out. Expect the flesh to cry out. It's going to cry out when you don't give the flesh what it wants. It's not going to take that lightly. The flesh is going to cry out, give me a blessing too. I want something too. This isn't fair. You've been feeding the spirit, but can't you give me a little something? No matter how loud it cries, we can't give in. So I have two puppies. I don't know what we were thinking. We got two puppies. Um, One's 10 months and the other one's about five months. Okay, we thought it'd be better to have two dogs. In some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. I love them though. So literally, um, Luca, who's the boy, he's the older one. You know, we have bones everywhere and you know, we'll give him a bone and then we'll give Noli the younger one, but she's bigger, we'll give her a bone. And Luca will start freaking out Because he wants her bone. He doesn't care that he has a bone. He wants her bone. And Luca, he communicates with us. He doesn't stop talking in dog language. And usually we know what he's saying. And he'll come and he'll want. It doesn't matter if we're in bed, what we're doing. Uh, 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 uh. He's coming to us telling on her, she has a bone that I want. It's like, dude, you have a bone, man. You have two bones. You can have two bones. No, I want her bone. And he whines and whines and whines. And you try to ignore him and literally he'll punch you. He'll do this little punching thing in the face. He'll punch you on the arm. He will not leave you alone. So often what I'll do, Noli's like the chillest dog ever. I'll take the bone from Noli and I'll give it to Luca. Oh, it's so wrong, right? Why? Because I'm so annoyed with the cry. But that's the nature of our flesh. We get so annoyed with how loud it cries out that finally we're just like, fine, I'll give in to you. You're crying out so loud, flesh, I'll give you what you want. And that's not the right thing. I should never give Luca the bone that's Noli's ever. Eventually, if I endure long enough, it may take hours, he'll stop crying. But I have to stand up for Noli. I have to stand up against the flesh, Luca, and say, no, you can't get what you want. And I'm going to let you cry and cry and cry till you finally give up on this thing. But that is the nature of our flesh. It cries out and cries out and cries out until it gets what it wants. And look what he says here. In verse 36, 36 he says, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He's deceived me these two times. The spirit and the flesh We've talked about this before, but they're constantly at war against each other. See, the fleshly man is always going to talk trash to the spiritual man. He's always going to dog him. Remember, Jacob's a picture of the spiritual man. Esau, a picture of the fleshly man. And the flesh is always going to talk down to the spirit. What do I mean? Sometimes your flesh will remind you and convince you that you're defined by your sin. You were a drug addict. That's who you are because you did drugs for so long. You're always going to be a drug addict. You committed adultery. That makes you an adulterer. You're not going to change. That's who you are because that's what you've done. Jacob, you're a deceiver because you deceived me twice. That's always who you're going to be, Jacob. And the flesh will try to try to convince us that our sin defines us and that's not the truth because it's God's grace that defines us and he says put away the old man and walk in the new man that doesn't mean that I'm perfect but I know the new man that God's called me to be and I'm listening to what God's called me to be and not what the flesh keeps trying to drag me back into because the flesh is determined to drag you into the pit of self-condemnation Jacob, you're the deceiver, and you're always going to be the deceiver. You're the drug addict, Tanner, and you're always going to be the drug addict. It's like, no, no, that's not who I am in Christ. I've overcome that thing. But for years, this is who you were. It's like, no, I'm the new man. That's That's who God has called me to be. This is what the flesh does. It tries to bring us back to the pit of self-condemnation. Picking it up in verse 37. It says, Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants with grain and wine, and I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept, The flesh is entitled to blessing. The flesh always wants to be blessed. It feels that it's deserved. It deserves blessings. It's like this. Do you ever do something super spiritual? And then your flesh is like, hey, you did that spiritual thing. Can you give me a little something too? Like maybe you go to church on Sundays and then you're like afterwards, hey. Sundays, I can like wild out and do whatever I want. I went to church on Sunday or Friday night. I went to couples study or on Monday night, I went to home group. So now I can do whatever I want for the rest of the week or the rest of the night. Or what about this? Maybe how many of you have fasted before? And when you come off your fast, you completely indulge. What is that? What is it? It's like you're worse off than you were. You would have been better off not fasting if you're just going to fast to deny your flesh for whatever the purpose is. There's multiple purposes in scripture. But say it's to deny your flesh. I'm going to deny my flesh. I'm going to fast this day or these few days. And then I come off my fast and in and out. Here we come. It's like, what? No, you're defeating the purpose of fasting. The flesh just got you. You fed your spirit for so long that the flesh. is like, I deserve this. That's how it was in Calvary house. We worked so hard all week, Friday night, we deserve to feed our flesh. It's like, dude, you just forgotten because now you feel bad about it. It's like, wait a minute. No, now I feel like crud and my stomach can't digest this food because it's not used to eating food and now I feel horrible. I shouldn't have done that. It's the flesh is like, ha ha ha, got you. See, the flesh, it's entitled the blessings. Once you make steps towards the spiritual side and feeding the spiritual man, the fleshly man wants to say, hey, it's got to be a little even. Let's even this out a little bit. But again, Paul says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The flesh doesn't deserve anything. Don't give into it. In closing... He says, Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, this actually happens in Scripture. Okay, yes, um, for a time Esau is uh, under Jacob. Okay. But he'll break the yoke, but this is also prophetic. And it's really interesting. Uh, if you want to study this, if you look at the Edomites, uh, that's another name for Esau, Edom. Okay. If you look at the Edomites and their relationship with Israel, Edomites are at war against Israel throughout history. And at certain time periods, they're under the authority of Israel. And if you dive deep enough, there's a lot of connections here between, um, When Rome um, took over Jerusalem, they were involved in that. They betrayed the Jewish people. They were scattered. There's even some evidence that from Edom, from the Edomites in Rome, will come the Antichrist. But it's really interesting. If you want to look into that and study it a little deeper, we won't go into it tonight because it's all hearsay, but it is really cool when you even just look at history. So, Throughout this story, we see each person in this family, each one of these family members, they give into their flesh, right? They made fleshly decisions. Rebecca, she tries to deceive her husband so that Jacob is blessed. Uh, Isaac, he tries to deceive God and bless Esau. Esau, he's walking in deceit. He knows he promised the birthright to Jacob and he made a deal, but he's trying to go against and undo that promise. And then Jacob, obviously he's lying, he's deceiving. Every single one of them are operating in their flesh. These are patriarchs. These are the people that we look to. These people are all in the hall of faith. Like God says, this is, this is an example of people that live by faith and we see them in the story. And it's like, what? doesn't mean that we're supposed to follow everything that they do, but just as we're to learn from their successes, because they do have a lot of successes, we're also to learn from their failures, not give into the flesh like they did. See, these family members giving into their flesh caused a lot of division amongst the family. We're gonna see Jacob has to depart after this. Rebecca's never gonna see him again. We see Esau and Jacob and the conflict they had they hated each other for a long time. See the family's never going to be the same after this story. We'll talk about it next week, but there's so many repercussions and consequences when we give into our flesh and it doesn't just affect us, it literally affects our whole family and we develop a culture of hey This is okay when the Bible clearly tells us, no, don't make provision for your flesh because it's not just going to affect you. It's not just going to spread in you. It's going to spread through you to the rest of the people that you encounter, that you talk to, that you live with, your entire family and friends. So as Paul says in closing, moral of the story, essentially, Trust God to fulfill His will, His way. Don't try to interfere. Trust Him to fulfill His will, His way, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its loss. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the good examples and the bad examples that You give us in Scripture. God, this um, text, Lord... um, It's not like anybody did anything right, but you have it here for a reason to teach us, God. And these are patriarchs, Lord. They made mistakes and you bestowed grace on them and you use them as examples for us to look to, God. So we know that we receive grace upon grace when we give in, when we mess up, Lord. But I pray that you would allow that grace to teach us to deny uh, our flesh, God, that we wouldn't, uh, put ourselves in situations where there's unnecessary baggage and unnecessary problems and unnecessary division amongst our family because we gave in for a moment. God, because we see in this story that those moments that we give in, they grow into bigger problems. And none of us want that for ourselves or our families, God. So give us the strength to, to, to make spiritual decisions. Give us the power to walk in the new man, the spiritual man. In your name, amen.